0: Thank you, Steve, for that prayer. Open your Bibles, if you will, to the book of Matthew, chapter 12. Matthew, chapter 12. It was mentioned uh, this morning in our prayer, and we do want to welcome Chuck and Marcy Corden home from Africa. So uh, we're thankful that they're here. Uh, and have had a safe travel uh, back home and uh, talked with them a little bit this morning. Of course Steve had been telling us what a great time uh, they have had uh, in Africa and also the great job uh, that Chuck has been doing and teaching uh, and Marcy as well and so we appreciate the work that they've done uh, over the last few months and we're thankful that they are are home with us. I want to encourage you also again to remember our Christmas card swap uh, this Wednesday evening Uh, so make plans for that that will be from 4.30 to 7.30 back in the fellowship hall. Uh, and then don't forget next Friday evening is our adult Christmas party uh, in the fellowship uh, area uh, you can buy those t- purchase those tickets uh, in the foyer and then also want to remind you next Sunday night we will be meeting uh, back in the, the fellowship area ministry building at 5pm uh, we'll have a devotional and a finger food fellowship so uh, uh, there's, there's a lot going on just this week and this weekend so make sure you pay attention to the bulletin and all those things uh, that are happening I want to share with you a, a story by way of in, uh, introduction tonight. There was a violent storm one night, and a large tree which had stood over years, this massive tree that had just become this, this staple, iconic figure, this stately giant, was found lying across a pathway in a park. Nothing was left, left but the splintered trunk and after people got to look closer, closer to uh, that splinter trunk, they realized that the core had been rotten out because of thousands of tiny insects that had eaten away at its heart. The weakness of the tree was not brought on by the sudden storm. It had begun the very moment the first insect nested within the bark of that tree. And as I think about that story, I think about what's happening here in Matthew chapter 12, what's going on with these Jewish leaders, Uh, kind of very similar to what was happening in our text we looked at this morning. But in Matthew chapter 12, there seems to be a lot of conversation going on between Jesus and these scribes and these Pharisees. They were very negative in their religious beliefs. In fact, it seemed that their very focus was on all the things that God's people cannot do and should not do. In fact, the Bible says in Matthew chapter 23, they were conscious about cleaning up their exterior, but not so concerned with their interior. And in this group, they were filled with so much self-righteousness that they were not able to see the truth of what Jesus was trying to get them to see, of what Jesus was sharing with them. So these Pharisees then in chapter 12 and verse 14, they begin this plot to try to have Jesus killed. You see, Jesus had been teaching the multitudes and, and, and He had been healing them. And the scribes and Pharisees, they did not like what they were hearing. You ever been that way? They didn't. But Jesus continued to teach, he continued to heal, and continued to forgive people. And then these scribes and Pharisees, there uh, towards the end of chapter 12, they began asking Jesus, "Well, show us a sign if you truly are the Messiah. Show us Jesus referred to them in verse 39 as an evil and adulterous generation. And it's in this setting of what's happening that Jesus places this parable that we'll read here in just a minute in the few verses of chapter 12, verses 43, 44, and 45. Notice it, if you will, Matthew chapter 12, beginning in verse 43. When an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places, seeking rest and finds none. And Then he says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it, finds it empty and swept and put in order. Then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter and dwell there, and the last state of the man is worse than the first. So shall it be, also be with this wicked generation. And so Jesus tells them this story about this unclean spirit. That has been, that has go, goes out or has been cast out of this man. And he goes out, and the Bible says he, he, he looks for the dry places. He looks for rest in the dry places, likely a, a desert, looking for rest, but he doesn't find any. In this parable, it gives us the idea that when this demon vacates this house, there, there's some cleaning that takes place. There's some sweeping and mopping and and organizing and straightening up and cleaning out, cleaning the clutter out of this dwelling place, this heart as Jesus would make it. There's no longer evil present in this man. And when this evil spirit does find rest, he says to himself, or when he doesn't find rest, he says to himself, I know what, let's go back, I'll go back and return to my house. And when he returns, he finds the house, that heart of the man, empty. Not just empty, but it's been swept and it's been cleaned. And it's like it's a new house. You see, the the reality is that the heart is a temple. It's a temple, it's a dwelling place. A dwelling place for God, a dwelling place for Christ, a dwelling place for the Holy Spirit, but also from this text we can see it's a dwelling place, or it can be a dwelling place for evil spirits. Romans chapter 8, Paul tells us, God's Spirit dwells within the Christian. Listen to what he says. But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Paul also tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 16 that the spirit of God dwells in the church. That's what makes the church so important. Do you not know that you the church are the temple of God and that the spirit of God dwells in you? So our hearts, they're important. They're important to God, the church. The church is important, it's important to God. And so finding this empty house, finding this house empty, he goes and he finds seven more spirits, more evil and wicked than he. And he brings them back and so these eight spirits now dwell in the house because it's a new house, it's been cleaned out, room has been made for other guests, right? Jesus says in this parable, now the state of that man was worse than before. And so he's talking to these scribes and these Pharisees and these Jewish leaders and he reminds them and this evil generation that they, they're living in that they would see the same fate if they continued in the same process and doing the same things that they were. But what does that mean for us? It means a couple of things. First of all, Satan's not content on living... In dry places. So, if we try to get those things out of our lives, guess what? Satan's not gonna be content being pushed out. Sellers Crane wrote, Jews, Arabs, and Egyptians of the New Testament period believed that the deserts were were the haunts of the evil spirits. You remember in that parable, uh, that story that is told about Jesus when He comes walking on the water and and the apostles uh, are, are there on the water and they believe they see a ghost? It's because people believed in that time it was either out in the deep or out in the desert is where the evil spirits ghost would haunt you see the devil wants to consistently deceive us into believing that all we have to do is sweep the house clean all we have to do is get rid of those sinful things in our lives and that's all we need to do sweep it and clean it and everything's good that's what Satan wants us to believe Because he knows he's not going to find rest out there in the dry places. Remember what James said in James chapter 4 and verse 7. James, remember, he said, Resist the devil and he will flee from you. But you see, simply resisting is not enough. It would only keep him away temporarily. You remember in Luke chapter 14 and verse 13? Now when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Remember, wasn't it Peter who said, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about as a roaring lion and Jesus then gives the idea of these evil spirits they're looking for places to dwell they're looking for clean hearts that's been swept and clean but they're still empty and essentially Jesus is telling these scribes and pharisees and these religious leaders that their religion is empty Even getting rid of the evil and being morally right is not enough. Someone said the Pharisees were classic moralists. No other Jews and certainly no Gentiles were committed to such rigid standards of religion, morality, ethics, and daily living. That's what makes the writings of the Apostle Paul so great. It's because he was there. Uh, he was a Pharisee among Pharisees. And once he met Jesus, his life was changed. He continued to stand for the truth. But he added preaching Jesus, he added that was more than religion. It was more than just being morally good and right. It was more than just practicing good, wholesome ethics. It was more than just attending church. It's living each day for Him. You see, the Pharisees and the scribes the Sadducees and all these Jewish leaders, they were more concerned and trusted in their own moral righteousness. In their acts that they performed. Remember that story that Jesus tells about the Pharisee and the tax collector? Oh Lord, I'm, I thank you, I'm not like all these other men. I do this, I do that. Boy, he went down the list, didn't he? Of all the good things and all the right things that he were doing. That were biblical. A scriptural. You see, these scribes and Pharisees, they looked down on all those who could not do the same or would not do as they themselves did. And therefore, they kept missing the good things, the merciful things, the truthful things of the message that Jesus was trying to share with them. my mind, doesn't it, yours, about how patient Jesus was with these individuals. Though He was firm, though He spoke to them the truth, there were times like that occasion of cleansing the temple when Jesus had had enough. I'm reminded of the time that Paul goes into the city of Athens and he says, listen, there was a time, I see you're very religious, but there was a time God winked at his ignorance, but now He wants you to repent. John MacArthur wrote this. Listen to what he says. Jesus had little trouble reaching prostitutes, thieves, extortioners, murderers, And the outcast of society. But he had an almost impossible time reaching religious and moral people who were under the delusion that outward propriety made them acceptable to God. Because they refused to recognize their sin, they recognized no need for a Savior. Wow. You see, Jesus wants us to know unless the house is filled with God, then it will be filled with more wickedness than before. Remember again in James chapter 4 and verse 8, the Bible says, Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts. You double-minded. You see, when we cast out those evil things, when we cut off those sinful things in our life, it's absolutely important, necessary to feel, or as someone said, absorb ourselves with pure thoughts and godly things. You remember the saying, idle hands are a devil workshop, devil's workshop? Or idle minds are the same thing? You see, Paul would add in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8, you know this passage, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, Whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. I can remember as a young man, I remember in Bible class, I remember sitting there and, and, and one of the first things that the teacher would do is the teacher, uh, as they're taking the number that's in the class, they're going to put this little uh, uh, paper outside the door and someone's going to come by and pick that up and tally all the numbers. And I remember one of the numbers that was on that page because the teacher would ask every single week, how many daily Bible readers? You know, in a sense, that kind of make, if you didn't, that kind of makes you feel guilty. But the principle behind that is worthy. To say there's value in spending time in this word. Whether it's the written word, well, I know some of us prefer that more than others. Or whether it's the electronic word, and I know some of us prefer that more than others. Either way, as long as we're reading and filling our minds and our hearts, that dwelling place of God in our lives and in the church with godly wisdom. What if we're not doing that? We'll mention that in a minute. Turn your Bibles, if you will, to the book of 2 Peter chapter 1. You see, the the temple of our heart, the dwelling place of our heart, must not be left empty. Peter writes this in 2 Peter 1, beginning in verse 5. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence... What does that word diligence mean? That means this is of high importance. You put a lot of effort, you put a lot of uh, emphasis on these things. To add to your faith, virtue. To your virtue, knowledge. To knowledge, self-control. To self-control, perseverance. To perseverance, godliness. To godliness, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, Love. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You see, if the temple of our heart is left empty, the Lord will not dwell in it. And if it's left empty, evil will return. So you see, daily Bible reading and daily study, it's more than just a number, isn't it? It's that important. And I want you to know I stand here and I say, Barry, is that important. Because the fact is, we will fill our hearts with something. We just have to decide each day. What is it going to be? Every day. Every day, because the devil is not going to give up. If we don't do these things, Jesus says in his parable, it works off the second time. Isn't that interesting? Peter says something similar about being enlightened with the gospel. And then turning away? That person's worse off than before? Like, oh man, isn't this nasty? A dog worth turning to its vomit? The devil doesn't like dry places. Those evil spirits, they don't like the dry places. They're looking for a temple to dwell in. You see, we have to ask ourselves the question, is ours empty and clean? Or is it being filled constantly with the Word of God? Some demons that people might deal with today are the demons of ignorance, the demons of prejudice. We talked a little bit about that this morning. The demons of of self-righteousness like the Jews or the Jewish leaders. The demons of hypocrisy. The demons of unbelief. The demons of rebellion. The demons of misplaced values. The demons of discouragement. The demons of apathy. whatever. I don't care. The demons of deception. And on and on we could go. You see, Jesus wanted these scribes and Pharisees and everyone to realize the importance of not just speaking the truth, but live in it. The importance of not just being the temple of God, but being filled with God in the temple of God. Beth Landers tells the story of a farmer who went each week to the farmer's market to sell the things that he, they produced on his farm. That's cottage cheese and apple butter. He carried, in these, uh, carried these in two large tubs. Uh, from each of those tubs, he would ladle out each one. He had a ladle and he would ladle out, pull out with that ladle and dump it in containers that the customers would bring to him. But one day, one day, he got to the market and he discovered he only had one ladle. He had left the other ladle at home. And he felt he had no choice but to use the one ladle for both the cottage cheese and the apple butter. And as she tells the story before long, he couldn't tell which was which. And she writes, That's the way it is when we try to dispense the good news of Christ using hearts, minds, and tongues too recently immersed... In the coarseness and one-upmanship of the world, nobody gets any nourishment. So how are our hearts? I know, if you will, we're preaching to the choir. But isn't this a great lesson for us all to remember? When, when people talk about daily Bible reading or we're, we're challenged with daily Bible reading or study, and really, I'm glad we don't put numbers up about it because it's not about the numbers. It's about doing it. It's about filling the temple of God with God so that when we go out into the world, And when when those evil things and when Satan tries to tempt us, there's no room. That's not saying we're not going to make mistakes, but there's no room in my house, Satan. Wouldn't you just love to bow up on Satan and say, not in my house. It's not for you. Because there's someone else dwelling there. Tonight, as we mentioned this morning, it's always our prayer and always our desire to give opportunity to anyone who would like to give their life to Jesus. You see, the Bible tells us, John three sixteen. we talked about it this morning, that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. James would tell us our life is but a vapor. It's here for one minute and gone the next. Interesting tidbit I heard the other day on the news, by the way, that they're saying the earth has gotten so old that it's beginning to die. (laughs) Wait a minute, didn't we already know that? Didn't we already know that the world was going to end? And that's why we preach. And that's why we teach. And that's why we allow God to dwell in our temples so we can share Jesus with others to say one day... Y'all get some freebies tonight. This is all extra. The challenge for us is to not say, "Oh." there's a terrible day coming. Oh, the world is going to end. You see, the challenge for the child of God is to say, there's a great day coming. And I'm going to be there because I'm allowing God to fill my temple. And I want you to be there. If you've not given your life to the Lord tonight, die to yourself in those watery graves of baptism, rising up declaring, I live for Jesus. I'm not perfect, but I live for Jesus. You can do that tonight. And maybe you're here tonight and you just need the prayers of your church family. We want to be that giving and supportive church family. And like we did this morning, we can pray with you and pray for you and lift you up to Almighty God. As together we stand and sing. I am the